This is Friday Night Party Line, episode 91 for uh, April 10th, 2015. Here on the show tonight, we have Cherba. Hey, Cherba. Oh, shit, I thought you were still doing that fucking intro thing that you say beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't even paying attention. (laughs) How you doing, Cherba? You doing good? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm doing about eh? okay. Nothing much interesting going on. Yeah. And uh, as always, from the uh, from the northern land of New York, hey Nelson, how you doing, man? Hello. Hello. How about how about them Yankees? Nelson, what's the sandwich <laughs> the of the week? Okay. Uh, sandwich of the week. Oh, I had a really good like a pulled pork kind of, not a cubano, but like. Uh, Similar, no pickles. Mm. It was pretty good. Sounds tasty. made me very sleepy after after like two p.m. <laughs> and I it was a Friday, and I realized I have more work that I should be doing <laughs> until the end of the workday. And then I watched a four K video of SpaceX launching rockets for like three hours <laughs> while doing other work, but. Ah. Uh. You, you, you I, I'm surprised with all that meat. You didn't go food coma. I was very close. Mm. And uh, as an in-studio guest, we have once again the wonderful Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hi. <laughs> in studio, huh? The enthusiasm is just. I know. <laughs> She's bouncing off the walls in here. Honestly. <laughs> That's your problem, not mine. For real. <laughs> anyway, so let's get going with the uh, the topics at hand here. Uh, let's see. We've got... All right, first up on deck. So, uh, movies recently from comic books have been flooding the theaters. We've got lots of remakes. And one of the big things these remake movies bank on is nostalgia of the audiences. And while a lot of them have been arguably good, um, some of them not so much. And yet, they are still seeming to resonate with their audience. So the question I have for our wonderful panel today is, uh, is a movie banking on nostalgia is that nostalgia factor in and of itself enough to make it a good movie no next question (laughs) it it has to have technical proficiency and it has to have narrative proficiency and it has (laughs) to have acting and like design and sound design and all the things that make the movies be good um I think nostalgia is definitely a component of marketing and I think if, like, if someone were to say, hey, we are remaking Dune, but actually not Sucky, I would maybe <laughs> go watch that. Um, I think there's two things, right? There's movies as adaptations of other works, right? And banking on that nostalgia. Uh, like... Um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, they recently... Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's movies as remakes of other movies, which is weird, and I I can understand it if it's like a like a technical, uh, you know, high def whatever, like Robocop. movies from yeah Robocop was you know what it was a pretty good remake, 
it was exactly it was very similar to the original RoboCop, but it was high tech. The it was a sci-fi movie that actually had good effects. Now, <laughs> like that is that is okay. And um, it also addressed uh, issues more concurrent with the times rather than you know what we were thinking about in what eighties, early nineties. Mm. Yep. Yeah, like I would watch. You know what? I would watch a remake of. Uh, Maybe not The Matrix, because it holds <laughs> up. And maybe not 2001, because that also holds up. I don't but know if The like, Matrix uh, holds Event up. Horizon, I would watch oh, yeah. a high-fidelity remake of Event Horizon. I'd watch a remake of Avatar, as long as they made it so that it was good. <laughs> yeah. Which, which yeah. Avatar? The Blue Cat think... People Avatar or Avatar The Last Airbender? They already made Fuck it either or. Combine the two. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, if we didn't have such strict copyright laws, it would be really interesting to see more remakes as reimaginings, because we don't really have those anymore. Like you know, the Disney movies, the like canonical early Disney movies, are remakes of older works, and but they're remakes as reimaginings. Sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a you know bolderization way. But <laughs> they they are a perfect example of you know. Remakes that have merit in their nostalgia, right? Right. The hundred thousand uh, bland like, Cinderella movies <laughs> are the opposite. They're trying to bank on nostalgia. You wouldn't watch that if you weren't super into Cinderella, but they don't bring anything to the table. I don't know. One of them the brought Moesha as Cinderella. That was pretty cool. There's That's, also a lot yeah. of them where you probably wouldn't watch it if it didn't have the same kind of font and drawing style, though not animation style, on the front cover as the Disney original. There is quite a few bargain bin Cinderellas who are literally trying to be confused with the Disney Cinderella <laughs> so that you buy them. But then again, on the other hand of that, there is... Uh, re- recent remakes of Disney, of traditionally Disney movies, the Wiz, or the rather not Disney, but classic movies like the new Wizard of Oz movies. And there's a new people, Wizard of Oz movie. Yeah, with uh, Mila Kunis and James Franco. Good? It's just called Oz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, that one. Go. I heard not good things about that. I never saw it. I heard there was a lot of shower scenes and things, but it might have been the one with Jonah J. Jameson, the guy. <laughs> here's, here's another interesting thing. Adaptations of uh, old plays, maybe. Maybe some uh, some Shakespeare. Maybe in a modern uh, retelling. Are you, are you trying to bait me into talking about Macbeth from 2009 in Melbourne Gangland again because I fucking will. It's, it's yeah. It is the best. Pretty much. Here's the best thing about Shakespeare, apart from you know making the English language cooler. Um, the best thing about Shakespeare is that you can reimagine any Shakespearean play in a Gangland setting, and it works perfectly. Yes, absolutely. There was also that one Romeo and Juliet movie that was just... It took place oh, in L.A. And it was... Sword? What? Yeah. Pass me my longsword. Hands him a fucking pistol. It's, yeah, no. It was a, it was a like, futuristic yeah. rifle. 
it was smash cut to the futuristic rifle in its like rifle rack, and it said <laughs> longsword on the side. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, and even better. They pull out pistols earlier in the movie, like um, the opening scene. They're at a garage station. They have a shootout. Oh man, that was someone the says best. something about their sword, and it does the exact same fucking self-satisfied smug bullshit. <laughs> Smash cut to the side of this guy's very clearly a Beretta, and mm-hmm. it just says sword nine millimeter down the side. And that was about the point I fucking checked the fuck out. That movie would have been much better if it had been directed by Guy Ritchie. I think it, it was, was just... trying to be a Guy Ritchie movie, but it was not a Guy Ritchie movie. Uh, Vic, my sister Victoria asks, "What about Macbeth with Patrick Stewart?" That's another good, uh, not necessarily a reimagining, but like a straight up. Um, hmm. That's the straight up ad- adaptation, yeah. right? Because it was, it? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually. That was honest, I think I think almost every adaption of Shakespeare that I've seen to like other settings, other things, has been better than maybe ninety percent of the ones I've seen that try and play it dead straight. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I feel like reimaginings uh, amongst different media are generally better. Yeah, because it's kind of a loaded statement. Well, I mean, I don't think it's too loaded. I mean, the, an adaptation implies an eject, an additional, additional injection of creativity, which you know brings something new to the table, which is always good. Yeah, I'm going to say something controversial. Um, I did not like the Lord of the Rings movies that much. Which ones? Oh, and I you. think, but I think. They were a very uh, close and, um, what's the word? Not diverging too much. They were, yeah, they were a very faithful adaptation of the books, which were long and meandering, and you would be <laughs> in a fucking field for like an hour watching the characters walk to the other side of the field. That was perfectly accurate. I think... Um, I and think that the is internet, why I did not enjoy the movie. Yeah, much. the internet, the internet, even then summed up the whole of the Lord of the Rings movies much better with that one stupid music video. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> no, I think they summed it up much better with that one stupid gift that involves launching hobbits via treasure. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, the movie was very technically brilliant. Oh, yeah. It was well written. It was well acted. It was a great movie, it was just very mm. accurate to the plotting tone of the books. Oh, yeah. Weirdly enough. Especially the new ones. Whole time. Yeah, I, I don't even want to talk about those. Those are... They did a that lot is of almost, that is almost a reimagining gone books. bad, because The Hobbit is a really good, concise book, but it is now three very long <laughs> movies. <laughs> Because they added in the lost stories, that's why. Mm-hmm. So they extended it out. It's a... not actually a full adaptation of the book. I like that book. Mm-hmm. As a weird coincidence, I met a grand total of three people who were from this part of the world, Australia and New Zealand, when I was living in England. One was a Maori guy that I met randomly when I was working as a charity door knocker, which sucked. 
Well, not that I met him, but working as a charity door knocker. <laughs> the other was a woman who was about 45 from Perth that I just randomly bumped into in a tiny village. The last one was a guy who actually worked for Weta Workshop, and we had a nice long conversation about props and how they made the armors and everything else because it was at a display at Leeds Armouries. They had all of the armors and weaponry and all sorts of business out on display. The level of detail that went into that shit is amazing. There is so much detail on these things that it just doesn't even come up on the screen, even in the high-def, Blu-ray, whatever, what have you. You can't see this shit, but they still went to incredible lengths to make everything perfect. Didn't the Lord of the Rings movies also come out, also release on uh, at IMAX theaters too? Probably. Yeah, I think Probably. The Chronicles of Narnia. It was the same deal with their stuff. Mm. Highly intricate, mm. but really no reason for it. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Talking about Hobbit, a a better, I would say, a better, a much better adaptation of The Hobbit to film was the uh, the animated movie from the... <laughs> the animated 90s, movie creeped me mid-70s? out. Mid-70s? I don't... Yeah. I can't really place when it was. It was creepy. Yeah. It was, it was, it was super was creepy, creepy, but it was very accurate, and it was entertaining. Living in a cave or, in like, the land of Shire was a thing. brave little hobbit whom we all admire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm going to take five for Victor to just Here's... keep going. <laughs> Here's actually an interesting adaptation. So uh, the other evening I watched a two-hour critique of the entirety of the uh, single-player campaigns from all of the Call of Duty games because I am a nerd. Yes. Um, yes. And it was really interesting revisiting the first game, which... Uh, by the way, was fantastic um, because the first game is basically a game adaptation of uh, Band of Brothers on the American campaign and Enemy at the Gates for the Russian campaign. But the like visceralness, viscerality of being in you know Karantan or in uh, Stalingrad while everything's going on. Like, I still have vivid memories of every single, you know, like, scene in those campaigns. Oh, sure. I mean, and, I mean video yeah, that's one of the things video games are excellent at. They're great at creating those solid memories. Like, um, mm-hmm. I don't... Th- if they ever made a movie of Spec Ops The Line, I don't think it would have oh, anywhere yes. near well, the impact as that one part of the game, which I will not spoil for anyone listening. They they did make a movie, and it had a pretty big impact, this... and it was called Apocalypse Now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's an interesting thing, because mm-hmm. both Spec Ops The Line and Apocalypse Now are adaptations of, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh... The book, the, oh my god. I know. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, Sherba, Apocalypse Now. Okay. Adaptation of Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but they're 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 both reimaginings of the same you know themes and the same tropes of that book in much more kind of topical scenarios, right? Mm. 
it's also pretty pretty interesting how Spec Ops the line actually talks to you, the player. In we could do a whole show about Spec Ops the line. Oh, you know we, we could, should. but we won't. <laughs> but not not today. Not right now. You want to do it next week for acceptable yes. devices? What? Victor, yeah, yeah. Victor, uh, yeah. In honor of Game of Thrones coming back, what do you say to the god of doing uh, tangents? I don't yeah, watch it's Game of Thrones. Um, tangents are coming. I, I don't know. <laughs> he wants so, you to say, but not today. Okay, not today. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> Game of Thrones actually brings up another interesting uh, topic. Sorry, I'm kind of over the show right now. Ah, that's good. But, that's good. Um, doing an adaptation of a work that not only is a bunch of spoilers and, you know, there's spoilers in the book that then come out in the TV show, but also doing an adaptation of a work that's still in progress, right? Mm, yeah. Because the books are not done and might never be. And the show is very quickly catching up to where the books have you know, ended. Yeah, the uh, show is also reportedly going to diverge from the books somewhat. Some people are going to die, some people are going to stay alive. Mm-hmm. That's not a spoiler because, let's face it, that's inevitable. But uh, I find it interesting that they're doing that, especially considering how much they've kind of kept it uh, a very church and state when it came to the books and the TV show. Nothing's meant to cross and affect each other except where they share through lines, mm-hmm. which is quite different from other adaptions where that sort of thing has happened, where it's an adaption of an incomplete work, like uh, 2001, the movie and the book were written and made at the same time. And they affected each other. Yes, indeed. <laughs> My throat feels um, like it's filled with wheat bix and kerosene, so I'm not going to do a pulse in today. <laughs> you know what's... Uh, you know what? Another thing I really like is uh, things that bank on nostalgia that are sort of adaptations, but of that fill in the blanks. Like the Game of Thrones game has characters from the show and the books, but is not about them, and it kind of fills in the blanks of what's happening over here while all this crazy business is going on. Mm. I really think there's that kind of those plots are underused. And I would really like to see more adaptations of those. So one of the um, one of the things that really strikes me about the like the power of nostalgia is how well it can kind of energize a fan base. So taking a skew a little bit off to the uh, off to the side here, um, all these different works like Game of Thrones and everything like that, they all have like a measurable economic value you know you can measure how much merch game of thrones sells or things like that my question is is that what kind of economic addition to a work does something like a fan like fan art provide because we all go to anime conventions and gaming conventions we see these artist alley booths filled with these you know buttons and pins and stuff what does that add to the work a really good segue, apparently. Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, they don't provide... I mean, they obviously don't provide direct economic value, but I think the, like, 
making people more informed definitely has some kind of economic value that no one really knows what it is yet. Um, <clears throat> the, like, getting your work out there value. Um, but they also provide cultural value, which is not really something that suit-and-tie business dudes really understand. No. But everyone else seems to pretty much rock that cultural value is, is pretty cool. They, I, you know, I went and about maybe a year ago, I went and talked to the head of the economics department at my old university about this this very thing, and she was very certain that this it adds no economic value, but it really doesn't make any sense to me that it wouldn't because I mean, I, I that's what she said. I don't get it either, but. To me, I look at these things like fandoms and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, okay, so maybe if, if you, even if you just look at things like Artist Alley, and you only take them as adding awareness within a, a culturally biased in-group that would have, that would already kind of skews to, towards wanting to take in that sort of media. Adding that kind of awareness, the awareness in and of itself is a, it does have worth. I mean, it's it's effectively free marketing for the for the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. Look at say Star Wars. Star Wars would be a lot lot smaller if it wasn't for what amounts to fan fiction that someone just said, "Yeah, sure, you stick our logo on it if you want." <laughs> yep. Like ninety percent of everything you love about Star Wars in the past is fan fiction because 90% of it is fan fiction. Yeah, what's it the uh, Other the than extended that, we have universe. Six movies like Yeah, the extended universe. Other than that, what do you got? You've got what six movies roughly 30 years apart, two TV shows, and a Christmas special. You got two mean, TV shows too, the, the wanna, Clone Wars and such. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you want to argue, hey, that doesn't add anything to the work, then you are provably talking bullshit because now we're looking at the EU has been, well, not exactly thrown out, but it's not the thing anymore. It's no, I'm, not I'm the pretty sure it was decanonized. If it was decanonized, they wouldn't be pulling things from it into the new universe. What it is is basically I they're think just that's picking and why. choosing what they want. I think that's why they decanonize it, so they can pick and choose the best bits without it conflicting well, with the canon of the books. I'll be honest, I've said it before, the EU was also very top-heavy. It was starting to wobble under its own weight quite severely. <laughs> but they're taking all of this stuff from this extended universe. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're bringing it into... Joke. They're bringing it into all of the new stuff now. Like, things are getting rolled into the universe. It's adding economic value, even if it isn't an official thing anymore. One, uh, one interesting thing about the extended universe is uh, back in... Right when they announced that they were going to make more movies, I feel like that was, like, 94, 95 or 96. Um, <clears throat> they announced they were going to make more movies, and they said, we're going to make some prequels and we're going to make some sequels. That's what they announced in 96. And in the toy stores, there were toys from the extended universe. I have little, like, um, micro-machines, minifigure things of Mara Jade and of the, like, Basilisk, uh, what are those, the Mandalorian fighter Sandworms? things? And, oh, like, no, okay. 
like things and people from the extended universe that were then discontinued and then you know they made the prequel movies and then that happened mm-hmm. um, but yeah they they made fairly large amounts of money on things that were basically just hey these are some uh, some fan things and we are bring bringing it into the fold and you know selling it to kids well they're getting like ready drugs. to make money on it again yeah that's double money right there <laughs> it's 2x is better <laughs> also there was according to the EU there was one guy who had a massive impact on galactic events who was literally a giant rabbit in a ship called the rabbit's foot who came from Coachella Coachella <laughs> yep. I'm not kidding well okay no he was from Coachella oh excuse but me one letter off. close enough <laughs> But yeah, it, it just got so fucking wrapped up in itself and wangy and everybody had to have a massive impact on galactic events. So as much as uh, as much as you can contribute with fan works, I think there also needs to be kind of maybe not a line between the two saying this is definitely this this is definitely official, this is definitely unofficial, but maybe if you're gonna have a big Thing of fan works contributing to your work, you do have to kind of pay attention to it a bit, nurture it like a plant, make sure it doesn't grow into a horrible mess. Mm-hmm. So going back a little bit to the economics side of the question, um, Artist Alley, although you know ostensibly artists aren't supposed to be using the you know intellectual property of the anime and stuff at least here in the united states japan forget about it but in the united states we're technically not supposed to be infringing on the intellectual property but yet it's sort of an unspoken you know community policy that yeah you know it's totally okay and the anime distribution companies know about it of course so is that acknowledgement is that is that you know turning a blind eye to it a tacit acknowledgement of the worth of these fan works i i would say sort of i would say it depends in some cases yes in some cases uh they just don't want the trouble of trying to like hit down all the whack-a-moles um <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing with people sharing music, right? Some musicians see it as like, oh, free publicity, this is great, I will make more money on my concerts, and they see a direct economic value. Um, Other musicians see it as the worst thing ever, and they're stealing all of my bits from me and, you know, Metallica. Um, and And a lot of musicians are somewhere in the middle, and some of them are... You know, they're like, well, I can't do anything to stop it, so just, you know, don't be a dick about it. Um, And it's all a spectrum. Okay. Uh, (laughs) We solved copyright. Anything to add, Amanda? You've been fairly quiet. Uh, No, I think they touched it all. (laughs) Well, they have a good history of touching. We're touching all the right places, believe me. (laughs) Uh, all right then. So uh, we got one more topic uh, on the books, so to speak. But depending on time, 
No, you know, the show is supposed to be short anyways. Okay, last topic. Uh, so, <laughs> if you think our show is too long, please send your complaints to 18w9k <laughs> at simplysyndicated.com. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, Jason can deal with the green ink for a <laughs> Sorry, not sorry, brother. <laughs> no, not at all, sorry. Uh, okay, so, um, last topic. When the world is filled with clouds and life's got you down, oh, what do God. you do to bring out your happy? <laughs> Certainly not fucking think about what just flowed into my ears, you right? sicko. Um, there's a really good uh, uh, Frank video about bringing out your happy um, that I think we should link in the show notes. Sure, Nelson. And put I the think... link in the chat, and then I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> um, what do I do? You go to what should I do today dot com. That's actually a good. Today? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, no, I just. Oops, sorry, Nelson. Go on. Oh, recently I've been reading politics until I like reach the the angry point, like the event horizon of frustration and anger. And then I just realized, oh, I can't do anything to solve this. Okay. Whoosh. And then I kind of float away. <laughs> Whoosh. And then you float yes. away like, like some sort of speaking human of, jellyfish. Speaking of, I, I just want to take a moment to commemorate the 150th anniversary yes. of uh, the ending of the Civil War, which was yesterday. Ah. Uh, oh, where yes. Where the, the United States of America defeated the Southern Traitors. Yes. Uh, and then the South won the Battle of the Hearts and Minds over Reconstruction, and everything sucked for a hundred more years. Yep. And then the Dukes of Hazard was made, and that was a good show. Oh, Lord. Yeah, Just okay. the good old boys. <laughs> yeah, but the good old boys were the problem. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> hey, man, the problem would have never driven a fucking... Bright orange 69 Charger. Whoosh. <laughs> it was a simpler time, you understand. Yeah. <laughs> sitting under the ca- sitting under the weeping willow tree, sipping my sarsaparilla. <laughs> okay, that was Victor's Southern Plantation owner <laughs> imitation. <laughs> so let's move on to different <laughs> things. Oh, no, let's see, what do I do when I want to fucking stop being such a sad sack? Well, there's two things. Occasionally, I go and see someone. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how fucking hard of a dude you are or how badass of a lady you are, sometimes you just, you know, you need a bit of help to get yourself going, you know? Mm. You need someone to talk to who actually knows what the fuck they're talking about and isn't just going to say... Well, eat a fucking cheesecake. You'll cheer up. You just need to cheer up. You'll be fine. (laughs) And yes, I have eaten whole cheesecakes to cheer myself up. All I did was make myself sick. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Not your proudest moment. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I was pretty proud of those cheesecakes. I make a bitchin' cheesecake, let me tell you. But uh, no, the other thing I do is I just get in the mighty van and fucking drive. Drive and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive. I've put thousands and thousands of miles of depression driving on that vehicle. 
It was just I pointed at you and said, you like, like to drive, too. I really like, uh, now that Tarantino has kind of finished making his uh, slew of crazy revenge fantasies, um, <laughs> I've been watching, I've been sort of re-watching them pretty good. Like, if you want to, if you're like, oh, man, I really hate these, you know, insert bad people, and you just like, let's watch Hitler just get wrecked. <laughs> I like and you to feel watch so cats much better. The walls. That's funny. For me, I like building stuff. Nothing, nothing brings mm-hmm. out my happy more than getting a wrench and a screwdriver in my hand and just building the fuck out of something. <laughs> See, I'm okay with that, but most of my expertise in building stuff lies with heavy machinery, and a lathe will kill you faster than you know you're dead. I don't want to be fucking with a lathe when I'm a bit down and not paying all the attention I should be. Yeah, it's true. Do, do not operate heavy machinery when you're feeling shitty. Yeah. You will fuck yourself up real bad. I think I find whenever I'm whenever I'm feeling shitty, I'm usually working on my bike, adding yet another crazy thing onto it. <laughs> Wait, did I ever tell you about the time I stabbed myself in both legs by accident? <laughs> no, but you will now. Did you do it simultaneously or <laughs> just one at a time? Just like Oh no, one at a time, and that makes it all the dumber. <laughs> okay, go because, on. Like back when I was an apprentice to a mechanic. One of my jobs was to cut up old tires that couldn't be used anymore. And what you do <laughs> is you take the tire and you put it on the rim machine. And it's basically just a machine with a little toothed plate on it that holds the rim steady while you put the tire on with levers and so on and so forth. And it also rotates. The balancing machine. So what you do is you whack... No, the balancing machine is different. Okay. The balancing machine, the wheel is already on the... Uh, Come on, brain. <laughs> the wheel is already on the rim, and you spin it to balance it. It's a bit different. But anyway, you put it on this machine, it slowly turns around, but to destroy old tires so they can't be used, you cut the sidewalls out. So you whack it on the machine, stick a knife in, and just hold it there while you let the machine rotate. I'm doing this, and, you know, not paying too much attention, not paying too much attention, I let the angle on the knife get a bit off, and, whoop, bang, stab myself in the friggin' leg. Oh, you know, a bit of a uh, bit of annoyance. I go, I whack a bit of super glue on it, whack a bandage over it. It's fine. Everyone has jokes at my expense, as they do. And a couple of days later, I'm doing the same thing again, cutting tires. I'm like, ah, I'll be uh, I'll be tricky. I'll stand a bit sideways, and like I've done everything I could to make sure I don't stab myself in the leg. Um, you know, I'm cutting tires. They've made the jokes. Oh, don't stab yourself again. Oh, yeah, fucking bastards. Uh, immediately stabbed myself in the other leg in exactly the same spot. <laughs> Classic. Uh, uh, you're the grade A comedy, Charles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it would be if that wasn't such a long, rambling story. And I did say last show, I do know how to destroy tires. Yes, you do. <sighs> Uh, just to bounce back to uh, answer a question put up by Jared Banta, uh, he asked, Victor, in dismissing oh, yeah. Japan, are you saying that they're okay with it or that they're not okay with it? I ask because the Japanese producers are generally okay with fan-created projects, doujinshi, as long as they don't make too much money. And yes, that is exactly what I'm saying, that they are okay with it because of that reason. And actually, legally, it's allowed. 
So that's what I. That's you also what I was have to consider that a lot of doujinshi is made by the artists who own the rights to that work. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not it like here where you where you sign a publishing contract and you sign your your life away. <laughs> and you say goodbye to all creators. Yeah, they uh, they do tend to retain the rights to a creation a lot more while. <clears throat> <clears throat> Pardon me. While you do, do still see works which are developments that don't involve the original creator, quite often the original creator has basically said, yes, you can do this, rather than the company coming back and saying, we are taking this from you. Yeah. Okay. Also, um, Ray Hero, the Black Lagoon guy, needs to stop making porn and make some fucking <laughs> Black Lagoon again. Jeez. Yes, we need Christ, more Black Lagoon. The pentwine, wild card art, you motherfucker. Yeah, Ray Hero, I'm talking to you. Come on, man, I need my fix. <laughs> go, go, go! Work with Trigger; they'll keep you on track. <laughs> you uh, just need some fucking big smelly bastard there with a club, <laughs> and every time he starts, <laughs> and every time he starts drawing like a dick on something, just club the shit out of him. <laughs> we don't need more Helsing porn, guys. He'll give him Come some. Uh, he'll give him some pa- Pavlovian training. Oh dear. Oh. Uh, okay, well, that was a good show, and for I think the first time since we started this season, what? we actually stayed true to sh- having a short show. Uh, so, with that in mind, uh, do any of you have uh, something you want to plug, Turba? Uh, okay, Nelson. Since Cherba right, needs some so vamping time. I have something for all the programmer in the audience. Singular. Um, yes. If you uh, use Node.js or IO.js or JavaScript in any capacity, and you have templates that you want to put data in, but you're like, oh, I don't know what templating language I use. I should use. They're all really dumb. I want to use Jade, but this other guy is using Nunjet, but this other guy is using EJS. I don't know what to do. Well, I and uh, my coworkers built a cool little thing, a little module, if you will, for Node that is called Multiplex Templates, and you can put a template in any other kind of template and pass data through and do cool stuff. <laughs> Yo, dog. It's really neat. I heard you like and templates. I'm kind of proud of it. Yeah. See, I know what those words mean when they're individually there. <laughs> Strung together in this construction. It's, it's all just semicolons. I know. It's all semicolons. It is all. It's all just semicolons and brackets to me, man. It's just. Yep. Okay. I do actually have something to plug that I've thought about it for like more than a quarter of a second. Uh. <laughs> Also, we... Uh, we Whenever you're ready. <laughs> we do have a comment. Apparently, Tyres did eventually get their revenge on me. It's true. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, two plugs. First of all, there was an article on Vice's Motherboard blog, and far be it from me to plug Vice in any fucking way. It's but positive. It's pretty good. Yeah, not this one. Uh, uh, I'm basically... <laughs> I'm basically pointing you at this one for an example of... How Not to Do a Pop Culture Article. It is an article about the scanslation community versus the manga industry, and it is just garbage. The fact-checkers were not just out to lunch. I think maybe they might have thrown them in the same prison that Vice got John McAfee fucking thrown into. Uh, 
the, yeah, the writers no, of the art the writers of the article set forth to write their piece, and then the fact-checkers had a sudden and fatal heart attack. <laughs> I think this piece might have fucking caused it. But yeah, no, it was garbage. Go check it out and just go, look, this is not how to write an article. Nothing about this is true. It's just nonsense. The other thing that I should probably plug... No... <laughs> Yeah, we're having a technical issue here for a moment in my head. Uh, yeah, kids, don't take a job where you work too much like this and you actually sleep. God damn it. Uh, okay, the other thing I'm going to plug is a small piece of software that uses JavaScript. So, yay, happy days for Nelson and his the people. best script. Yes, maybe, I don't know. No. What do I look like? <laughs> anyway, it is called AMR, All Mangas Reader. If you use Chrome, uh, it is a plugin that basically keeps track of all the manga you could possibly read on just about every scan site there is to read it on. And it is very handy. It does, you know, chapter, page, display, all sorts of other neat features. Go and pick it up because maybe if uh, maybe if enough people actually pick it up. You know, we can get development going a little faster because it is also open source. You can check that shit out on GitHub. You can make your own forks. You can do like I did and pick up the implementation section for all the manga websites and stare at the JavaScript because I can't do anything with JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> Jerba, why don't you give me a link to your uh, your list of of reading manga? I can't. Oh, I thought you shared it like a while it ago. Is... Oh, I do. It's just that it's not really something linkable. It's an enormous text file full of code to be imported right. into right. AMR. Toss it up on Pastebin or something. and Yeah, I'll Pastebin it or something like that. Yes, if people want about 400 manga to get themselves started. Okay. Amanda, do you have anything interesting you'd like to share with the listening audience? You're funny. I was thrown into this like five minutes before this show started. What, you think these guys prepare? You're just <laughs> joking. <laughs> I should show you my five pages of notes. I've got, I've got uh, notes, huh? Disney, I've got Game of Thrones game. Like All hell this you do. You don't know that. Don't you lie to me. They're just fast food menus that you want us to pick from after the show. Yeah. That's, that's true. <laughs> okay, well, how about I pick something on your behalf that I think you'd like to share? Okay, whatever. Uh, there it's is... your own fucking show. I'm going to beat you to death. No, what? <laughs> no, no, no. There is a, uh, a cool webcomic uh, called Ava's Demon, and uh, it's really good. And they update fairly slowly, but you can pretty much get through the whole thing in one sitting to date. And uh, it's pretty good. You should check it out. It's real good. Amanda, have you ever actually read this comic? I actually have. Yes. Good. Okay. Yeah, you see? You see? (laughs) Huh? Yeah, huh? Shut up. Time, <laughs> that one's funny. I'll get you next time, gadget. 
say how you feel about it. Yeah, right yeah, pretty much. Okay, and uh, I do have a thing of my own to plug. Uh, one of my favorite games in the whole wide world, Dirt 3, recently got patched to get rid of the stupid games for Windows Live and get fully integrated into Steamworks. And it's available on Steam, so you should get it. It's like 30 bucks with all the DLC, I think. So you should, you should totally get that. And then you can play with me and Turbo racing games. So yes. Or more accurately, you can win. play the. <laughs> more accurately, you can play the stunt playground while me and Victor play dumb games and do power slides. Whee! Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who plays against this weirdo. Amanda is convinced I'm some sort of racing game god. Uh, not quite. You're just annoyingly good at them. Yes. <laughs> you should you should go and uh, get him to show you his profile on uh, Grid Two. Our no, times tend to be I'm within good. like about two seconds of each other. I already and they know tend I'm going to find mine. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, I'm. He's, it, you're, he you're get. I, he's typically about a second or two behind. Yeah. Well, I figure me. anyone who plays with you and enjoys it is equally ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it for the show today. Thank you to Nelson and Cherba, and a special thanks to Amanda, who I effectively shanghaied onto the show. And uh, yeah. we will see you all next week on Friday Night Par Unacceptable Vices. Wait, where's they be seeing us? Well, you're we going to see them. You're going to be. We'll be seeing them because we get the. Good night, everybody! <laughs> <laughs>